Romans chapter 11. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 11 to 24. The answer really to the question, what about Israel? Uh, What about God's prophecy that all Israel will be saved? Um, In chapter 11, we've looked at a couple of uh, questions or responses to his teaching. The first was, has God rejected his people whom he foreknew? And And the apostle says, by no means, absolutely not, God forbid. The second question we looked at last week, have they stumbled beyond the possibility of being saved? By no means. Uh, As we close this chapter, um, we we find this theme, and it it should have jumped out to me weeks ago, but it really kind of, well, actually last night. So at 3.43 a.m., I was writing stuff, Uh, this morning on this text. Um, His application has to deal with how we view this theology. So he says, uh, don't be proud, don't be complacent, don't boast. Our text this morning says, unless you're wise in your own eyes. Now, this mystery that he's going to give us here we get nowhere else in Scripture, right? So that's kind of a scary thing. I always tell people, don't base your whole theological system on one verse that might be obscure that might show up somewhere, right? Otherwise, you'll find yourself in Appalachia putting your hand in a box of snakes, right? Where does that come from? It comes from uh, one verse that might be hard to understand that you build a whole theology around. So I always tell people, you know, if it's it's an important theological concept, it's going to show up everywhere. Right? It's going to show up everywhere. And you think about Paul's letters that he writes. Right? His letters, you could, you could take uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you could take any of those books on their own and understand the gospel. Understand the sufficiency of Christ. Be called to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Uh, so those books, you know, when you're a preacher, there's so much similarity. But here we have this mystery. Now, it's not the only time mystery is used. He likes to use the word mystery. I like to think of it as you're, you're there at harps and you're getting ready to check out and there's all these magazines up here with glossy pictures and we're wondering about Ta- Taylor Swift's boyfriend and uh, pictures of this celebrity and, ooh, look how so-and-so is aged, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, we're worrying about all of that. And then what does it say? The mystery. Oh, <gasps> the mystery to weight loss revealed. It can't be a mystery. It's in every gum grocery store. We all know what it takes, right? The mystery, but, it, but we're drawn to it. Like, is there some secret? Is there some secret that's going to, once it's revealed? Oh, man, don't touch a muffler, right? Is there something out there that's going to, that's going to, like, open up our eyes to something? And so, I, I, not, not just me, but other I shouldn't say other scholars because I'm not a scholar, but scholars say that the reason he puts it here is the Roman Christians had a temptation that was different than the other churches, right? And you ever wonder why we have four different gospels? You ever wonder why we don't just have one letter to Galatians or why Ephesians is a little different and Corinthians is a little different and Thessalonians is a little different and Romans is a little different. He says that these these Roman Christians, they faced a temptation that was different from the other churches and it all makes sense. It all just started at 3.43 in the morning coming to me. Like, it makes sense. Um, They were tempted to look down on the Jews. 
right? You have been rejected by God because of your hard hearts. The Apostle Paul, this Pharisee, this figure of Judaism has left you and he's preached the gospel to us. And we have received this gospel. And we've had all of these signs of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And we are living in this amazing freedom, you idiot Jews. None of the other letters are like that. In fact, when you read it, especially, uh, it's not Paul's letter, but the, the letter to the Hebrews, right? The Jews are coming up and, and they're, they're coming up behind people and they're saying, you guys are just missing out. You know, our relationship with God is so much better than the one you have just with Jesus. Jesus was cursed. He died on a tree, right? Come back to the fold. Come back to the root. But in Romans, they face a temptation towards pride. I feel like um, this, uh, this mystery that the apostle will reveal... Um, really isn't anything new. But the application is a bit different. So that's where we are. Uh, Romans 11, uh, verses 25 to 36. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now you've received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that He may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We got here. Remember me saying for weeks? We're going to get here. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust you, Holy Spirit, to impress it upon our hearts when we approach you with humility and faith that your word will not return void in our hearts. In the words of my mouth, Father, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Do not be arrogant, verse 18. Do not become proud, verse 20. Verses 21 to 24, do not be complacent. And here the apostle says, I am revealing a mystery to you, 
so that you will not be wise in your own eyes. Now, isn't that interesting? Most mysteries actually puff people up, don't they? I know something that you don't, right? People pay chiz inordinate amount of money because he knows stuff about the stock market and investing that we don't know. He has secrets and he has mysteries that will only be revealed if you sign the dotted line, right? Mysteries and knowledge puff up, and the apostle is saying, I'm going to outline, I'm going to lay out the theological groundwork so that you will not think yourself wise in your own eyes. So that when this mystery is revealed to you, you will actually grow in your humility. Now you ask yourself, how would the gospel make one proud? You know what? I ask myself that all the time because I'm a proud person. How does the gospel make one proud? Here's how the gospel makes one proud. We think I chose Jesus because I was smart enough. We think if you only knew what I knew. We think shame on you. Right? And we think as humans that this relationship God has with us is because of us. When it is all from him, through him, and to him. A spiritual pride is a very dangerous state of existence for a believer. A spiritual pride that says, I know all things. I've, I've settled in my mind and my heart what the scriptures teach and what the gospel is. What you have here is the apostle presenting this mystery of the gospel and really presenting all, all 11 chapters up to this point of orthodox theology, and it leads us to doxology. If your study of God's Word does not lead you to doxology, then your study of God's Word is incorrect. It may be just academic. It is missing the power of the Holy Spirit. The study of God's Word, the knowledge of who God is, is to lead us, as it did the Apostle here, in the midst of sentence, he just has to stop. And he, has to, he goes off into doxology. He'll connect this, as we see next week, with the way we live in Romans 12.1. He says, therefore, an err in view of God's mercy. This is how we're going to live. Right? Because all of this is true, this is how we're going to live. He, he doesn't start with chapter 12 and say, this is how we're going to live in order to receive God's mercy. He says, no, the depths, the knowledge, the wisdom, the love of God. This is the mystery. Right theology then uh, leads to doxology. And right worship leads to worship. I titled the sermon, Called to Worship and sent to worship. God calls his people to worship. You get called here publicly as a group to worship every Sunday morning from the scriptures. I do it from the scriptures. We do it from the scriptures so that you know it is God's intention and it is God's will for your life, for you to gather and worship. He calls us to worship. And when we worship with him, he sends us out to worship. But worship comes as a result of right and good theology. So last week we talked about that the incorrect application of God's word should never be what drives our theology. 
right? We, we, we want God to be a certain way, and so we orchestrate theology to make it comfortable for us to follow God. It's easy for me to follow God. I don't have to give up as much as I would uh, with this theological system. But right theology, oh Christian, it should happen to you. Right theology, a, a time of just reading and studying and praying and hearing. Right theology of understanding the depth of your sin, the wonder of God's steadfast love should lead you as it did the apostle into this exclamation. Well, um, we're going to look at these four truths in verses 25 to 32. Uh, we'll run through them fairly, fairly quick, but I want to cover this text. Um, this uh, wisdom and the knowledge of God and Paul dispensing this mystery. Uh, it leads us to humility. And as we talked about last week, humility leads us to holiness. And when I say holiness, I have to remind you, when Christians say holiness, so many of us think, Oh, no. It means a life of denial. Holiness means don't do this, don't do that. Uh, my kids were in a Christian school once, and they had a list of gray words. Dad, that's one of our gray words. I'm like, what the beep is a gray word? <laughs> I didn't say that, but, you know, I thought well, it was a gray word. Well, Dad, there are words that are pretty close to be on the list. So we don't use the gray words very often, right? Um, these uh, four truths. First, verse 25. Israel's experiencing a partial temp, temporary hardening of the heart. All right, we've talked about it. He says, I, this is the mystery. I want you to understand this. Yes, absolutely, right now, Israel is experiencing a partial, a temporary hardening of the heart. Right? And, and when he says that, uh, it may not be as clear to Roman Christians, but Jewish Christians and study, people who study the Bible know that this is that cycle. We talked about it a few weeks ago. This is that cycle, right? God rescues the people. He provides for them. They get smug. They think they're special. They think they're greater than everyone else. Uh, and, and they forget their God. And it happens sometimes over generations or hundreds of years. They forget their God and they turn around. They get taken off into slavery. The judges come one after another and they rescue them and then they go right back into it. You know, it's like, it's like the dog that you pay you know, an inordinate amount to get groomed, right? And then it's like, don't let him outside! Right? Don't let him outside! Oh no! Right? It, it, it's a, that, that's this cycle and the apostle is saying Israel is on that cycle right now. The Jews have this hardening of their heart but it is only temporary and it is only partial. Paul's a Jew. There are all kinds of Jews that are being brought into the kingdom. It's partial. The second thing, also in verse 25, is he says it is until the full number of Gentiles have come in to the kingdom. And so Paul is revealing this, again, revealed nowhere else in Scripture, that there is this timeline in God's redemptive purposes in order that the Roman Christians are not smug. There is a timeline. Right now, those in Rome, right now, those in Grove, the doors are wide open. And the gospel is going out. And it is to be received and it is to be shared amongst every people, tribe, and language. But there's coming a day when there will be this return of Israel. But it won't happen until the full number of Gentiles 
has come into the kingdom. Now, some people have taken this, uh, like I said, it, it just it shows up here, and they've kind of taken and created a whole theology. And I'm not going to get into it uh, very deeply, but they, it's it's like a two covenant theology. And you might hear it sometimes uh, that there is a way of salvation for the Jews and a way of salvation for the rest of us. And what's what's amazing is he makes it really clear in his text as he goes back and he quotes Isaiah and as he quotes the Psalms. He's saying, no, 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 no. That's not at all what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying that all Israel, which is Gentiles and Jews, will be saved. But right now, Roman Christians, the door's been wide open and Gentiles are flocking to it. But don't get wise in your own eyes. Don't be proud in your own eyes. Because it's been revealed to me that there will be a season when a large majority of that nation returns back to me. One improper application is we only preach the gospel to the Gentiles until, until, until somehow this number is done and then all of a sudden we know. The other improper application is that everyone who is Jewish by some way of birth or blood that they can track somewhere through 23andMe or whatever it is uh, is going to be saved. I'll talk about that in a minute. But those are kind of these improper applications. What's the right application? Israel's hard. Their hearts are hard. Make no mistake. That's what you're seeing, right? The door is open for the Gentiles, and there is a season where, where it is so, so uh, wonderfully accepted that we've got to go out and share the gospel all across. There is a number. God has a number. You know that? He has a number a number of saved people. He knows that number. Now, we don't know that number. Some people in cults think it's 144,000. And I would say, if I thought it was 144,000, I would never share my faith. Because <laughs> they may bump me out. <laughs> right? Sorry, it's just ridiculous. But um, God knows the number. And, and, that, and that should give you and I today a real sense of comfort. We're not going to force God's hand. We're not going to make Him come back sooner. We're not going to make Him wait longer. He is about gathering His elect from the four corners of the world. And He has a definite number. Um, and, and then this third step, then all Israel will be saved. So we have to kind of dive into this a bit. What does he mean by all Israel? And, uh, and people argue over in, in this text right here, who is Israel? Uh, for a long time, I, I sided with John Calvin. And I said, when he says all Israel here, he is speaking of, of the church. But I believe Calvin is incorrect. Not just me. Uh, who would dare to argue with John Calvin? F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, John Stott, others, Warfield, uh, they say because of the context he's talking about Israel, he's talking about the hardening of the Jews. He's saying that, that, that there, there will be a season where the Jews uh, in mass return to the Lord. Um, he is speaking to the Gentiles in regard to that, and his purpose is that they would not be wise in their own eyes. What does he mean by all? Well, we've seen this all through Romans, all. Uh, all the guys agree this. All Israel never means every single person without exception, 
all often in the scriptures means all without distinction not all without exception what does it mean to be saved well that's where we get into this two covenant thing that just doesn't make any sense what does it mean to look be saved what does it mean that salvation what will it look like uh, to the jews and so he picks that up right here in 26 look at verse 26 this way this is the way israel will be saved the deliverer will come from zion he'll banish ungodliness from jacob and he'll renew my covenant with them the deliverer will come from zion Praise God he doesn't come on Air Force One. Praise God he doesn't come from Jerusalem. The Soviet Union. Deliverer will come from Zion. That is just loaded, heavy, with Old Testament reference. The psalmists cry out, oh, they cry out to Zion. When will the Redeemer come? Send help, O God, from Zion. The Jewish deliverer, the Gentile deliverer, the only deliverer of humankind will come out from Zion, God's holy dwelling. His son will come down from his lofty position to rescue his people. Secondly, his son would banish ungodliness from Jacob. A reference to Isaiah 27. Jacob's guilt would be atoned for. Jacob being apart for the whole so oftentimes you hear Israel or Jacob or Abraham. Uh, it's, a, it's a part representing the whole. Like earlier when he said, if the lump of dough is holy, then the whole thing is holy. Right? Uh, Jacob, he would be, uh, evil would be banished. Ungodliness would be banished. And how would he do that in the third step? He would reestablish God's covenant. Look at verse 27. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. How is Israel saved? How is all of Israel saved? In the same manner that all the Gentiles are saved. God sends forth a deliverer. He comes and he banishes ungodliness. It's just a great way of saying sinfulness and everything that is wrong. Half of my pastoral prayer, I don't know, maybe all of it this week, was ungodliness. It was brokenness. It was things that aren't right. The Redeemer will come and He will undo that and He will establish God's covenant. What does that mean? Well, God's covenant, it required blood. And the Redeemer would come and establish the covenant by shedding His own blood. Uh, he, he closes this section really by giving us a, a a, a, really a, a great sense of optimism. He says God's calling is irrevocable. God has a merciful future when he says all are consigned to disobedient that they may be given mercy. Uh, mercy on all, again, without distinction, not without exception. This mystery of God's salvation to an apostle that spent his childhood studying the Old Testament, this mystery in light of him experiencing the risen Christ is what breaks him in to doxology. The Redeemer came, the Redeemer banished ungodliness, and the Redeemer fulfilled the covenant. Now, you know I use this text. Uh, I've used it quite a bit, and especially I think maybe all the time we've been in Romans, I've used this as our benediction. But I have a secret. It's not a benediction. <laughs> it's a doxology. So uh, just 
technically, right? A, 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 bene, a benediction is uh, God speaking his word to his people, right? Um, Moses says to Aaron, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, right? It's, it's God speaking to people. And doxology is God's people speaking to God. This right theology of the Apostle Paul about the gospel, about God's plan, about his purpose, breaks him into doxology. Now, um, we do that. We, we do that. Uh, we do that by memory, right? We, uh, we do that uh, at the end of our service when we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Doxology is supposed to come forth. Uh, if you've ever raised young children, when you hear them singing when they're happy, you know, I, I love it, right? It, it, it is a response. Doxology is speaking the truth about God in a, in a, in a way um, that is right and celebratory, saying great things about our God. Uh, you may not know this, but I have a grandson. And you know the annoying thing about grandparents, don't you? They're just annoying. Like, I, I, I'm not going to be one. I'm not. But I have to be honest, my grandson is the best one. He's the best one. Yeah, and I say that, and people chuckle, like, oh, that's great. You're a grandpa. You think it's, you know, uh, grandpas are supposed to think that way. I know, but mine is. <laughs> and I can't not talk about it. How was your visit? How was your visit with Jordan? How was your vacation? How was your great, great, great? My grandson says, hi. My grandson is like an incarnate golden retriever that has to say goodnight to everyone. Even before he could talk, he'd make, uh, and he'd point at somebody. Like, I haven't said goodnight to them yet. Right? He's the best. Every Christian, every Christian should have a doxology. We should have a doxology. When you're hurting, when you're sad, when you're alone, when you feel great shame, have a doxology. In that moment, you are turning away from all that is wrong and confusing, all the mysteries that we still can't fathom, and you're focusing on the wonder of who God is. Um, we are called to worship and we're sent to worship. I want to just briefly go over this uh, doxology that I hope by now many of you have memorized as we end our service with it. There are four parts to this doxology. In, in verse 33, there is what we would call an exclamation. Oh, 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 if he was preaching, Paul would have shouted this out. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. He boasts in three things about our God, all right? When we boast, when we pronounce doxologies, when we tell people how wonderful our kid is, when we tell people how wonderful the sports team is, we boast upon who they are. And he says here, let me just tell you three things that have come to mind as I've considered God saving this hard-hearted people, God saving me who persecuted the church. His riches are deep. His wisdom, they're all His. His riches are deep unsearchable we will never it doesn't mean that we, we can't understand it. it means we'll never exhaust it his wisdom is deep 
which leads to judgments that are inscrutable. They, they can't be denied or overturned. His knowledge is deep. And it leads us in ways. Now think about this, just briefly. Think about this. What are the things we as humans boast about? His riches. Right? I've told you this before. My, my daughter, uh, a campus... Um, a resident life director at a very expensive school. They wear uniforms and the kids say, how will people know how rich we are? We hide it more when we get older. But what do we boast in? Our riches. The apostle goes, no, his riches. What do we boast in? Our wisdom. One smart fella over there. It's his wisdom. Our knowledge. It's his knowledge. The first part of his doxology is all focused upon who God is, his riches, his wisdom, his knowledge. And then he asks this, these rhetorical questions, really kind of two questions in verse 34 and 35. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Right, it's kind of one question. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Verse 35, who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who has known his mind? Who has given him counsel? He has no need for counsel. His mind is perfect and it is full and it is deep. Who has given a gift to him? Is anyone, uh, is anyone do anything from God? Is he beholding to anyone? No. I love the way one writer puts it. He says, no, we're not God's counselor. He's ours. We're not his creditor. He is ours. We depend entirely upon him to teach and to save us. The initiative in both revelation and redemption lies in his grace. Any attempt to reverse roles would be to dethrone God and to deify ourselves. So the answer to both questions is nobody. An exclamation, a rhetorical question that just makes us think by comparison Right? Here is, here is who he is. Compare him to ourselves. And then thirdly, this theological affirmation. For from him and through him and to him are all things. He's not just a part of your life. Not just a way to not go to hell. He is everything. Through him, to him, from him. And then this final assertion in his doxology to him be glory forever. Amen. These last two parts of this doxology delight in that he is God. Theology leading us to doxology, as we'll see next week, worship sending us into worship. Brothers and sisters, if doxology, if worship is hard for you, first of all, we, we make this distinction like the music is worship and this is preaching and the music is for the emotion and the preaching's for the mind. It, the worship of God, the proper placement of God in your mind, your heart, your life, uh, if that is hard for you, we tend to we tend to kind of change the melody. I want to go hear a different melody that makes it easier for me to accept God, easier to be happy with God. But if it's hard, I encourage you to change the lyrics.
if worshiping God is difficult and distasteful and, and is work for you, you have got to dive into his word. You've got to understand it like the apostle does when he gets to chapter 11 and he can't hold it in anymore. And he says, oh, this is our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you, uh, Lord, that you reveal to us mysteries. And as those mysteries are revealed, rather than puffing us up with pride one against another, every mystery you reveal makes us know more of Christ. Father, it draws us to love him more, to trust him more. Father, it, it, it causes us to have peace and security in him alone. Now, Father, as we take and eat the bread and we drink the cup, as we experience doxology, no, no one has ever done this for us and we have never done this for anyone else. No one knowing us the way you know us would give their life. How much more so the one who is perfect and blameless. Such steadfast love, Father. Forgive our hearts when we get bored with it. When it doesn't cause us to sin, to, to sing. Oh, Father, set these elements apart. Nourish our souls, the sufficiency of Christ. Send us out into this world with a doxology. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.